Today's guest is Betsy Reinhardt, the Executive Director of New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners, an Accountable Care Organization, or ACO, headquartered at Concord Hospital in Concord, New Hampshire. New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners was formed as a partnership between four community health systems in Southern New Hampshire, Concord Hospital, the Elliott Health System, Southern New Hampshire Health System, and Wentworth Douglas Health System. In this podcast, Betsy talks about her career and how her education in public health and her background in insurance and strategy merge in her current role leading the ACO's efforts. She talks about how the ACO is a learning organization that is helping the participating partners move toward a strategy of providing value-based care, a recurring theme we have been hearing from a number of leaders in recent interviews. Betsy provides an inside view of how the ACO was formed, how it operates, what the organization's goals and objectives are, and what the participating organizations hope to gain from their collaboration. Betsy's career and current role are great examples of how public health and direct care are beginning to merge as direct care delivery systems become more involved in population health models. You are listening to the abridged version of the podcast. An extended version of the podcast is also available. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for the link to the extended version. Welcome to The Forge, Betsy. Happy to be here. So following your time at the Provider Service Network, you came here to Concord Hospital in 2005 to be the Director of Program Development, a position that you continue to hold today in addition to your role as Executive Director of the New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners, a role that we'll come to in a minute. But before we talk about your job, can we talk a little bit about Concord Hospital? As I understand it, it's part of the Capital Region Healthcare Charitable Health Delivery System committed to the concept of community-based healthcare, and it's the parent company to Concord Hospital, Concord Regional Visiting Nurse Association, and Riverbend Community Mental Health. So can you tell me a little more about what is what is Capital Region and kind of the hospital itself? So, so it's just it's just that it's really kind of the parent company of of all of those uh, organizations, and each organization it, it, they remain their own separate organizations. They all have their own boards, and you know, and that sort of thing. But I think they really come together to, um, and certainly more, it's even more interest uh, in working very more tightly together in an integrated fashion based on the direction we're going towards value. So I think it will continue to evolve, but at the moment it's sort of, um, uh, is it- So it's three distinct it's, organizations. That come together come through together. a parent organization, yeah. but they each okay. have their own boards and, their, and, that, and that sort of accountability. Okay. So Concord Hospital is, is again, just a, commu- is a community hospital based in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, our total primary service area is, it's mainly, it's Merrimack County and then some of the, the other towns um, on the border of Merrimack County. Um, and it also includes uh, Concord Hospital Medical Group, which is all of the employed physicians. Okay. Um, but there's also additional independent providers that, um, you know, are on medical staff at Concord Hospital Medical Group um, in, okay. in a variety of, of specialties, including Dartmouth-Hitchcock Clinic um, in Concord is also uh, on the medical staff here. And um, so you have about 255 primary and specialty providers. Yep. What's the ratio of primary to specialty? I mean, do you know off the top of your head? Um, I think it's 
Last time I looked, although I'm not 100% sure, I think it's about 55% specialty, 45% primary care. But that could have shifted. That was that's a little bit of an old number, okay. and I know, but but I think it's it's a somewhere in the realm of 50-50. Okay. And you have a number of centers of excellence that operate here. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Sure. So we certainly have several centers of excellence, cancer, cardiac, orthopedics, and neurology. And those, those certainly draw from more of a regional market versus someone who is, you know, in, just involved with the primary care. It's going to be kind of more locally oriented. But they, they're very innovative. They offer some incredibly innovative technology and draw people just from not even beyond New Hampshire, Maine, et cetera. So I think that okay. do a tremendous job. Okay. So as the director of program development, where do you fit into the hospital leadership structure? So my title now is actually executive director of accountable care. Okay. So both for, so okay. it's sort of, it's, it's, it's recently. both. Right. Okay. So it, it really absorbs both. And so half of my time is spent working on New Hampshire accountable care partners and very much in a, more of an external role, although obviously ties to the work that we're doing at Concord Hospital. And then the other half um, and, and that half is really paid for by contributions from all of the members and participants in the ACO. And then the other half is really spent on Concord specifically, okay. um, working on population health initiatives with our new physician advisor for population health, as well as our CMO and all, various members. Other, just it, It's really a system level position where when I say system, I'm talking about our local system, capital region healthcare. So doing a lot of work with the, with the, the visiting nurses association, doing a lot of work with River Bend community mental health, working a lot, obviously in um, our practices and tying it all together um, across, you know, kind of the whole, the whole system. And so uh, the two really go hand in hand because what we're doing with accountable care, and I know we're going to talk about accountable care and medical home and all that kind of stuff, but really the work in the accountable care directly links up to our strategy around population health. Okay. Following passage of the ACA, Concord became involved with an ACO. So in 2012, you were given the additional title of Executive Director for the New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners. What is the New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners, and what's your role been so far? Sure. So um, New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners is a not-for-profit organization. It's a limited liability um, corporation based in Concord, New Hampshire, founded in 2012 with the express intent to participate in the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which, again, is an offshoot of the Affordable Care Act. So the Affordable Care Act defined you know, that Medicare was going to put together, you know, accountable care organizations. And this is one of the programs um, that came out of it. And so what we did was bring together four different, it, originally it was two organizations. It was Concord and all of their employed providers and Elliott and all of their employed providers. And it's important that it's, it's not just hospitals that can participate unless the hospital employs all of the, the physicians, the providers, because the population that gets assigned or attributed to the ACO has to do with 
the provision of primary care services largely. And so um, in 2012, we had Concord and Elliott come together um, to participate in this program, and I think we were one of 112 organizations nationally doing that. So we were on the forefront, you know, but we said, hey, this is something we've got to, we've got to, you know, we want to explore. We see the writing on the wall. We see that, um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of pressures that providers are beginning to feel that we we see the direction that Medicare is headed we all of the tri- triple problem stuff we see all of that so we you know we want to jump on and and take advantage of this what we saw really as a learning opportunity largely and and now the Elliot is is in Manchester and yes we've I've done a podcast down there so listeners can check that out as well but it's relatively close you're what about 30 minutes apart yep so we are and yeah, I think it's about 30 minutes apart right in Manchester and kind of similar, you know, community profile somewhat um, in, in size and everything. So we don't have much of an overlap between kind of the market area that we both that we serve. But we also had a relationship that started through Granite Health uh, Network. Now, I think it's just called Granite Health, which is uh, kind of a federation of several health systems in New Hampshire that came together you know, to do a variety of things. But certainly there was a relationship that had developed through our participation in Granite Health. And that really, you know, the participation in Medicare was really served well by that. And so we were together through just the two of us through 2013. At the end of 2013, two other Granite Health organizations expressed interest in you know, wanted to see how we did and then said, hey, you know, we think we'd be interested in joining. And so in January of 2014, Southern New Hampshire Health System and Wentworth Douglas Health System joined the ACO. So now four participating organizations and about 37,000 Medicare beneficiaries, which are associated with our ACO. Wow. So Southern New Hampshire is in Nashua. Southern New Hampshire is in Nashua, and they have a medical group called Foundation Medical Partners. Okay. Um, and Wentworth Douglas is in Dover on the seacoast. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of overlap between the different service areas at each of those organizations. But we were all facing the same kinds of challenges and, and interest in figuring out where, where things were headed from a value perspective, value-based care, population health. And so we felt like there's a great opportunity to learn to have this additional structure with the Medicare program to continue to learn and better understand what competencies we needed to move forward. Okay. And so Dover is about 45 minutes to an hour away. It, it's, yeah, an from, hour. From and from Concord, Nashua is probably 45 minutes so away. So everybody's kind of within a, a range of about an hour's drive. Yes. Yes. Just to give the listeners a, who aren't familiar with New Hampshire's geography kind of where we're at and how, if, how, how these all kind of sit with respect to each other. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the kind of the, the process of establishing th- this organization, and the mechanics of that from, from your perspective as, uh, as the executive director. We had to go through a pretty comprehensive application process for the Medicare Shared Savings Program. It was an overall, you know, we had to define how would we do care coordination and how would we do evidence-based medicine and how would we do this and that and the other thing and what's our governance structure. And so it had to be a separate legal entity that had its own board of, of you know, a board essentially that had oversight for delivery and, and execution in this program. And so we had to develop that whole legal structure. And we actually had to do this for our application. We had to have everything in place and submit that, um, or at least a sense of what we were going to, we were going to do. And so 
part of that was establishing a leadership team. We had, we had to identify as, you know, there's certain requirements based on the, on the regulations. You had to have a minimum number of beneficiaries. You had to have a legal, you know, entity that w- could re- receive data, could receive shared savings and distribute it out. You had to have uh, certain positions in place, compliance, and you had to have a medical director and you had to, you know, have someone who had overall accountability or, you know, a, a CEO. And so we identified, basically pulled from our existing organizations, putting, putting that leadership in place. And so I really was the point person on putting that application together. And so in talking to Mike Green, who was the CEO, uh, which is Concord Hospital's prior CEO um, up until two years ago, and my boss at the time, and sort of said, you know, you're going to need someone who really functions as really the big project manager on this, program manager on this. And so that was a role that I took on, given the um, the role that I'd played to date. And then we had uh, identified a medical director, which actually ended up being Concord's medical director, uh, Dave Green. And then we would pull compliance support from, at the time, initially from, from Elliot, and, and sort of went about setting up an organizational structure based on what we thought we needed. So thinking again, sort of from the high level, this is about quality and cost, and there's certain things we had to have in place from a quality assurance perspective. It was very clear we had to have that. So we, you know, we put into place an organizational structure, committee structure with representation as well as our board. And then the other, the other requirement we had to have is we had to have a Medicare beneficiary that sat on our board. They, you know, Medicare had sort of right. said they want to ha- provide that. They want someone who provided that perspective and checks and balances in terms of the work that we were doing. And so we had to identify, we actually identified someone from Manchester and someone from Concord and to sit on that as well. And so really initially it was really, it was reading through the regulations. We had to, you know, identify where, what were the potential how were we going to ensure we were in compliance with the regulations? What did we need to do to organizationally figure out what we were doing? How were we going to receive data? What were we going to do with that data? Just sorting out, even understanding what needed to happen. And then the other piece, other big piece was really being able to report on the quality measures. 33 quality measures, 22 of them are data we'd have to pull from our medical record. And then the other ones were, were based on a patient satisfaction survey and, and, and some claims-based measures that Medicare delivered on our behalf. But we had to have 22 measures that we had to, from two different organizations on a sample of patients, be able to pull together and submit to Medicare on an annual basis. And now four organizations coming together based on a sample of all four come together and submit as one entity to Medicare. Medicare saw us as one entity, despite the fact that we're four independent organizations, you know, again, with autonomy and with, you know, not, we're not integrated as a, as a clinical network. Okay. So as you were saying, you have four hospitals participating in the ACO. What is the relationship? You're saying they have autonomy. They continue to function as separate entities. They share ownership of the ACO, I'm assuming. Is that, is that the... I mean, I think it's not really ownership. I think there's an equal, 20, you know, sort of even split in contributing okay. to support the, whatever is needed, the infrastructure, which is we have a very modest budget. Okay. I think it's, you know, it's $400,000. The majority okay. of that is data analytics, and then it's a portion of my time, and then there's a few other assorted pieces. It's, it's, it's a pretty small... Yeah infrastructure. So, but everyone contributes equally. And if we were to have shared savings, 
everyone to get an equal distribution out of those shared savings. Okay. Um, you know, based on we're kind of coming together as a collective. And so, but each, the challenge is it's really a federated approach, meaning we, we come together, we say, oh, these are our shared goals. These are our shared principles. We know we have a mission of triple aim because every accountable care organization, that's really what they're focused on. And we knew that we would really have to effectively use our data and we'd have to build care coordination but it also is really clear that it's not just about Medicare. We're coming together specifically with for to oversee our performance in the Medicare program. But Medicare is not, it's not a one strategy thing that, that organizations are doing. This is across all of the very, the, all of the payers. This is, this is much broader. This is the work that's going on with Granite Health, with Cigna Accountable Care. This is the work that the new insurance plan that Granite Health and Tufts Health Plan created, Tufts Freedom Plan. Okay. That this is about a broader strategy to move to value. So I think that the work in the Medicare is really important. But the, but my job is not a position of direct oversight. I can't go in there and say, you're going to do this or whatever. Okay. I can only say, this is what I think we need to move our goals forward. And oh, by the way, this also syncs up with this, 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 and this, and this, and really trying to influence. It's a position of influence. And so it, it, it really is, um, you know, there's a connection, but I think there's a collective commitment that we're all kind of moving in the direction of value and that come, that there's that in my role that I'm really ensuring that I'm providing the service and the value back to them to help them not only with this Medicare program, which is direct, I'm directly responsible for, but also to ensure that, you know, this hopefully really goes across many initiatives. So the ACO was created, the New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners is created first and foremost to take advantage of this Medicare yes. savings program. Yes. But private insurers are now also moving in the same direction and expecting you to do the same kind of, of work. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's not being done through that, you know, payer relationship or collaboration with payers, private insurers isn't happening through New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners. Okay. New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners is solely focused on the Medicare population, the Medicare program. Okay. But obviously, it shouldn't be a silo, you know, it shouldn't be sort of seen as, ooh, you know, just off to the side and doesn't line up with anything else that organizations are, are working on. It has to be, you know, I see this as, an, as sort of a, a building momentum, helping to build momentum in the, in the transition to value-based care. And we're part of that momentum. We're part of feeding into that and helping to create the value and not only to organizations as they transition, but ultimately back to our community and back to the individuals that we serve and, and back to the, the providers in, in terms of the work that they do and, and helping them to do their work as, you know, uh, most effectively as possible given the changing landscape. Okay. So it's, it's really not a standalone, but it is a standalone legal entity, but it's not a standalone strategy. Okay. And you said there are already other private insurers that are already kind of looking at an ACO type arrangement. Are you, is, is there a long-term strategy that New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners would be the response from these four hospitals? Or is it, are you saying that you're kind of organizationally, everyone is learning that this is how it's going to work and it won't necessarily be New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners, but Concord Hospital. Yeah, I can't, or, 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I could tell you exactly what okay. it's going to look like. I think yeah. there's a lot of work being done, you know, again, at Granite Health in terms of the Tufts Freedom Plan. There's a relationship between, you know, the, the organization, the Granite Health Network and then um, Tufts Health Plan to create that that um, insurance plan and, and products related to that. And then there's a lot. I think it is a time, I would say, when organizations are looking to do a lot of partnering and collaboration with a variety of partners and collaborators. And so I don't see this, I see this sort of almost like diversifying your portfolio um, in a way, you know, you're sort of looking at all of the various things that will come together ultimately so that you're, you have a sustainable plan when you, when you move into, to um, value more into value-based care. We're still pretty much paid on fee for service. Right. And I think that we're all, we, we are learning but I don't, I think the pace of learning will accelerate as we, you know, certainly with Medicare kind of putting a, a stake in the, you know, the sand and, and saying in three years, we are going to have, I think it's 80% of reimbursements, you know, tied to value in some way or, or alternative payment mechanisms, or, or maybe it's 50%. But, but they've been very clear. We are moving. That's where we're moving is to value-based reimbursement. And so I think that we have three years to sort of really get ready. And I think that that will require a lot of different organizations coming together. And it, it's not all just going to be through New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners. But I think we can we can certainly play a role in in convening people and facilita- facilitating conversation and problem solving and meeting quality measures and things that we need to do that will extend out to other kinds of, of arrangements and facility with data. I think there's a lot, a lot that we can do to really help to pinpoint. And I think Medicare in particular is in New Hampshire is a particularly, and everywhere, we're, we're aging everywhere, but in, in right. New Hampshire, I mean, I, it's an aging population. And so certainly this Medicare represents a large portion of the population that serve for all of the health systems. So, so ensuring that we're doing uh, what we need to to be effective in, in delivering services to that population in particular, aging in particular. Yeah. Um, I, aging population, I think, is critically important. Across the country, Medicare represents 50% or more right. of most hospitals' revenues. Definitely. So when Medicare, when the, when the U.S. government says, Medicare will now do it this way, people stand up. Everybody has to respond in some way, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. And so I think that's, that's, so I think it's, it, it all kind of feeds in together. And that's really when I, when I think, I always think about all of these different things going on and how does it ultimately kind of sync up so that, you know, the arrows are all going in the same direction um, to, to help move us. Okay. You've talked about primary care. Most people kind of know what that is, but, but can you give me a, a quick explanation of what's primary care and how does the role of primary care change when operating within an ACO? So, I see primary care as almost that of a quarterback and not, you know, in a way, um, it's, it's like a quarterback role. It's, it's, it's at the core of coordination and holistic perspective on, for, you know, for individuals, for patients. And, um, it really, primary care is, is a first point of contact in many cases. It's a principal point of continuing care. It's, so it really is, is a continuity of care within the system, and then it just really helps to coordinate services with specialists, with other kinds of services, home health, et cetera, so that it, it becomes a coordinated care plan. 
And so when you think about when people talk about medical home, patient-centered medical home, and that really is about a team-based, so it's really saying, okay, the, the, the patient, the individuals at the core, of, you know, they're, they're part of, if you think about it from a football perspective, they're part of every play. I mean, right? It's your healthcare. You're going to be part of it. But really looking at this as a team-based approach, there's so many different things and there's so many various perspectives and skills that together, you know, as a team come together that really can benefit the individual. So, for example, we have a new rule, which is similar to uh, what all of the organizations have within our ACO and, and, and really common throughout many organizations is really kind of a nurse navigator or a patient navigator or a care manager that's embedded within the medical home, the primary care team. And their job is to really help the more complex patients. They're, they're higher touch. They're providing an extra layer of support and service to help people that have really complex situations, whether they have a lot of behavioral health, whether they have social needs, you know, whether they have just a multitude of chronic conditions, whatever it is, they're providing that extra layer of support, extra coordination that's needed. And that takes a lot of time. And one individual trying to do all of that work in addition to all of the daily work that, that you go in, maybe you have a cold or maybe you need immunizations or you have wellness visits or whatever it is, that takes a team to sort of help with all of that. So certainly it, it, it's team-based, it's patient-focused, individual-focused, and it's really about creating a culture and a system of wellness and, and really helping to bring all of what's currently more of a fragmented system together as more of a, a coordination, having a foundation for that to do so. So a lot of what the U.S. healthcare system is accused of in terms of generating that extra cost that we were talking about a while back was because it's fragmented. Mm -hmm. What's the strategy then? It, how does that then play into the strategy for generating savings through this ACO structure? So if you think about the, the microsystem level as medical home, primary care kind of microsystem. You have a macro level, which really has more to, which has to do with more of the accountable care organization, which is really structured on the idea of coordinating services better, reducing the fragmentation. It's really a systematic approach looking at prevention and wellness, but also an encouragement of reducing risks and, and all that kind of stuff, but also being more proactive in medical care, wherever people are at in terms of disease or, or health or what have you. And so being more proactive and, and earlier intervention and that sort of thing. And so that's really popular, you know, population health is, is a more of a macro and ACO is more of a macro. And so I think right away, you could see the benefit of care coordination as a cost savings opportunity. But it's also in terms of particularly if you think about the higher touch for the more complex patients who may end up in your hospital more, your emergency room more, helping them to self-manage, helping them, they have a point of contact. They're not going through, you know, a myriad of, of phone calls or they're getting conflicting or confusing information. They have a principal point of contact with their, their team and they understand all of the various pieces. And then there's all sorts of extra support that's provided throughout the system. That they, that they can get access to and link to, but ultimately there's, there's that ability to bring it all together and make sure that people get access to services like behavioral health, which I think if you consider that as an opportunity, integrating that with the care, thinking about palliative services and helping people make really difficult decisions and helping their families come to those decisions. Now you're talking about increasing resources though. This is, you're talking about adding on at this point. 
So what's the incentive? Why do you have that incentive to spend more? Because it's what I'm hearing as a former comptroller is I'm going to spend more on, on these people. Is that true? And, and what's the incentive for you to do that? Well, I think it's, it, again, right now we're in this straddle position of we're being paid fee for service, so we're being paid on the number of services that we deliver, but we see that that how we're going to get paid going in the future is, is based on a population. So if you think about the needs of a community, the needs of a population, and you think about all of the various pieces that play into why people go to the emergency room or why people need acute care services, and you think about the ability to maybe help them avoid some of that by providing these additional higher touch supportive services or delivering services in their home, then you begin to understand why we're building up the infrastructure now as we prepare for that transition. And I also would add, it's just kind of, it's, it's the right thing to do for people. Sure. I think for a long time, we've put you know, behavioral health off to the side as, as sort of a, a sidebar conversation. And now we're saying, well, wait a minute, that needs to be fully at the table because your depression, your anxiety is impacting your ability to take your medications. It's impacting your ability to self-manage and take care of yourself. So if you don't, looking at just sick care and not considering health care, you're just, you're, you're, you can't possibly impact the total cost. And if you really think about, I don't know if you've seen the um, uh, Health County Rankings, which is a, a report, I think it was done with Robert Wood Johnson, and they, they have this particular model that they talk about. And it really has to do with, it has to do with sort of a whole, a whole patient aim. And so what it talks about is that if you think about the health outcomes for an individual being, you know, ultimately the way they define it as mortality and quality of life, what are the factors that drive that health outcome? And 20% of that is clinical care. You know, 40% of that is social and economic factors. 30% of that is health behaviors, things like tobacco and obesity and things like that. And then a 10% is physical environment, so air quality, water quality, things like that. And so there's so much that happens outside of the healthcare system that we need to begin to make those connections to those services that help people remain in the community for as long as possible for because it, it's it's the right thing for them. And it also ultimately has an impact in terms of outcomes and also, um, you know, ultimately um, will in some way help us to, to manage costs. But I think doing the right thing, focusing on what's, you know, focusing on the patient will ultimately translate to helping to manage costs and, and getting people involved in decisions about their own health care as well. So what, I, what I'm referring to as additional costs, you're really saying is a, an upfront investment yes. to, to cut off the tail of more clinical care right. and address other needs. Yeah, I mean, front. exactly. So you're, it's really more of a, it's a proactive versus reactive. And we've lived in a really reactive system, very much focused, at least healthcare. You know, it's, it's been focused on sick care. And and it's been focused, and there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, it, it's not that it was wrong or bad. It's just the way that the, the system has grown. And now I think everyone's saying, well, wait a minute. You know, we need to be thinking more about the broader healthcare, And how do we connect, you know, how do we connect um, all of the pieces and thinking about it from a whole person perspective? I mean, as an economist, I see it as, you know, we've had a long history of fee-for-service. That's how you got paid. Absolutely. So that's what grew. That's exactly it. And right. that's what I'm and now saying. now we're shifting away from that. Now we're shifting because people are saying, we can't sustain that. We yeah. can't sustain this model. Um, and I don't, you know, 
And they're also beginning to see some other pieces. So they are, are also factoring in. Everyone's had their personal experience of, you know, the story of, well, how did it, you know, what was it like when my mom died? Or, or how did, you know, there, someone has experience with, well, this is what it was like when my brother was diagnosed with, you know, clinical depression. And what did that look like? And is there, and maybe you ask the question, is there a better way to do this? And then you think about how the reimbursement structure is changing, and you begin to think about um, how, how this can work differently. But you know, just this morning, talking a lot about well, what is the quote return on investment? Because the tradition, the return on investment model that we have in place now doesn't really work. How do you quantify the impact of care coordination? How do you quantify the impact of palliative care? How do you quantify some of the things you're doing? Maybe it's a long-term game that you're playing, you know, or a long-term play that you would be able to see down the road. But um, so we're going to have to reconfigure how we're looking at that and thinking, you know, how being able to provide, because I don't, you can't dismiss the financial piece of this and you can't dismiss the incentives that people have and they're real and they're basic stuff that people need to consider. But I think that's all the stuff we're trying to figure out now. And certainly with the Medicare program, we're doing it in a way where we're not having to um, really deal with a lot of risk at this point. So we're continuing to learn, knowing in three years we're going to have that risk and we, we need to be better at it. Let me ask you, what, what can the New Hampshire Accountable Care Partners do that's different than a traditional medical care, excuse me, Medicare provider um, that's oper- operating on a fee-for-service? Can you offer different services that typically were not billable? Do you do that? Because it's addressing other parts of the of the needs of the patient, is that something you're looking at, or, or are you still kind of just hitting on the stuff that's typically been billable for Medicare? No, we're we're definitely, I think, broadly speaking, um, looking at kind of all of the variety of organi- of, of opportunities, um, and and thinking again about what does it mean to be ready for where we're headed, and what does it mean to deliver value, and how are we going to do that in a sustainable way? So certainly when you think about there's a lot of services you can you could you could offer but it's really where do you where do you see what you know what is what does your data tell you what are the needs in the community what are the what is your data from medicare the claims data what is your clinical data where are there gaps in care where is there demand that's not being met what are people telling you they need what do you see from all of the variety of data sources is cropping up and certainly you know for example in New Hampshire, and this is not unique to, to our state, is is mental health, you know, behavioral health, substance use, and substance misuse. And so really looking at all of our data creates a compelling, you know, can create a compelling story to say, we need to focus attention here because it's tied to this, this, and this. And until we address, if we don't address this, then, you know, we won't get, we won't get the kind of desired results that we're looking for. And so I think Data helps us to identify community needs process we're going through now with the hospital, all of the data and analytics that we're trying to get better at, comparing and contrasting to other organizations. That's one of the, the, out, the, the opportunities we have as a collective is to say, let's look at each other side by side. Wow, you guys are a little different here. There's variations. Why is that? What are you doing? And so we learn from that and we can, we can begin to challenge maybe our assumptions or maybe our hypothesis, maybe they're not right. And so we go back and we begin to kind of lift up every rock and see what the opportunities are. 
But at the same time, the conversation this morning was around sort of uh, pilots we're doing with integrated behavioral health was really about financial sustainability. Because right now, the work that we're doing, the innovative work we're doing, piloting integration of behavioral health and primary care is largely funded through grants. Okay. So the innovative work we're doing, we're getting that, you know, part of, uh, as a charitable organization is there's community benefits. And so part of that is helping us do that. Or we seek grants from other sources, maybe from the federal government, maybe from local foundations. That's great. That allows us to sort of have a proof of concept and to develop those kind of return on investment impact opportunities, um, or, imp- or sort of clear impact. But we need to also think about as we continue to sort of have both a foot in fee for service and, and moving into some other kinds of pay for performance, let's make sure that we are looking at what the billable, you know, what, where, where we can bill and, and doing so. And so I think that's a conversation that we're really trying to figure out is, yeah, there's all these services. Um, and right now it's, it's part of what we're doing through a variety of funding mechanisms, but ultimately we're going to need to fit to factor that into how we structure arrangements going forward. And we need to have the proof and the data to support the the, the importance of including that in, in future arrangements. You've mentioned data a number of times. What data do you actually get from Medicare, CMS, or you, you have, of course, your own data yep. from your respective facilities, but what data are you getting from the federal government about your uh, beneficiaries? So we get the claims data for our entire population, wherever they so the, receive the those services. So reliant uh, beneficiaries? Correct. And wherever they have had services, which is a little different from what we can get out of our billing system here. So we, we have data that, you know, if someone came for a service, we're going to bill it and we're going to have that data here for that. But we don't know when they went, if they went to Mass General or they had emergency services at Laconia or whatever the case may be, we wouldn't necessarily know that. And so by getting all of that data, we begin to see where care is getting, uh, you know, where care is being delivered. And you might see, re- you know, repeat visits for an individual in the emergency room. You just begin to see more opportunities in your population. So claims data that includes some Part D, pharmacy data, Medicare pharmacy data, but it also includes all of the professional billing through Part B as well as the Part A, which is the big chunk of it. That's 65% um, of of what we do is is kind of the Part A Medicare stuff. And so there's claims, and we put that into, we have a platform that we contract through Granite Health, which is called Athena, and there's this whole analytics set of, you know, there's analytics we can do as well as reports and that sort of thing to be able to hone in on where we might have opportunities to impact um, uh, so, cost as well as quality. So if I'm a beneficiary, I'm, again, 67, I reside in Concord, I'm reliant on Concord Hospital, but I go skiing up at Cannon and break my leg and I get care up uh, what, in Plymouth maybe or someplace like that, you'll now know I would know that, that. I, that I've had that injury. Yes. And so you might follow up with me and say, hey, you know, you might need to come in and skip follow-up care. Yeah. I mean, the issue with claims data is that it, there's a lag to it. So okay. we don't okay. get, you know, so it it's be three. Like next day. You, no. And that's the part of the problem. So claims uh-huh. data is very good at sort of looking back. Uh-huh. What are the trends? What are the patterns? Where, where we're going? Are we spending a lot on this or that? Or, you know, looking at that, what, are, what's the size of our population with a particular disease? because all of that's included within whatever gets sent in a bill is the information that we get. Okay. So um, individual encounter is not going to be very helpful to you, but a population level would be. Population. And then individually, we also do, we apply 
kind of risk scoring algorithm. So what's, you know, so what is the, the risk of this individual using service, you know, medical services, hospital services? What, there's a particular risk and it's based on, you know, the chronic conditions or past utilization patterns. There's a whole bunch of things they feed into their risk scoring. And so we use the risk scoring to kind of stratify our population or put them into segments of high risk or emerging risk. And so that can be helpful for us as a starting point. Perhaps the, you know, nurse navigators or care managers in the practices will use that as a starting point to say, here's the size of the potential size of the, of the group that we may need to focus on. But then they're going to couple that with clinical data, which will really give, you know, more real-time information on what are the, what, what actual gaps in care. Have they, do they have these screenings or have they, you know, when did they, whatever the case may be, what's their, you know, A1C level or that sort of thing. And so you can feed that in. And are we having, are we having an impact on them clinically? Are we seeing that managed? And um, have they had their depression screening and that sort of thing? And then you can also, so we use those and certainly, so there's, there's the Athena piece. And then we are also here locally at Concord, we're going to be implementing a new medical record. Cerner, and they have a population health module. So we're going to be feeding all of our claims data, not just from Medicare, but from all of our various payers and housing it in this one module, which ultimately will fully integrate with our clinical system. And then you can really begin to get that, some of that information out to the people that can take action on it. So there's that data. Then there's additional data, sort of more real time, you know, if they were admitted or um, discharged and that's, so making, being able to make those connections, but there's still gaps. You know, if they went to Mass General, we may or may not know that they we even were there or they were discharged until way after the fact. And so there's definitely gaps that we're, we're trying to figure out how do you, how do you, you know, where do you, how do you create some of those relationships and so that you can understand when you can catch someone when they're coming, coming back from um, a hospital stay, you know, out of state or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there's also all of the community, community-based, population-based data, the risk surveillance, behavior risk surveillance data or, you know, socioeconomic information, which will help us underspe- understand maybe the, you know, where the hotspots of, of opportunity are and, and will help us to understand where we can focus resources to help best meet the needs of our community. So there's a lot of different data pieces that we're trying to bring together and then, but bringing it together in a way that sort of gets actionable data to the people that can take action. What's the benefit of having four geographically relatively close, but still you're, you're, you're 40 minutes apart, 30, 40 minutes apart. What's the benefit of having four hospitals like that in this ACO? I think there's, I think one of the biggest is the shared learning opportunity, the sharing of best practice. Um, other organizations may be doing something better and, you know, you're seeing, you can, you can learn from them. And so it's literally, you know, sharing templates or process or what have you and saying, this worked, do this instead of us trying to come up with our own game plan. Um, it's the ability to compare and contrast and see kind of the variation and then collectively say, what are we going to do about this? And so the collective thinking around, how are you going to begin to understand the issues, better understand your population? You know, it's ability potentially if there was a big enough issue where you could come together and collaborate and develop some sort of shared program. But I think right now, a lot of it is really focused on building collective competencies around how we use the data and the analytics of that, how people, you know, kind of primary care re-engineering, how are you doing? We're just piloting integrating behavioral health. Another organization is already when we're Douglas is well on their way to integrating behavioral health. So we learn from that. Okay. And, and there's a lot of other examples. And so I think it really is, it's an opportunity to just 
come together and, and learn from each other in a way that is not, it's not competitive. It's just we're kind of raising, raising the, the bar for everyone. How are member organizations changing to be successful under this kind of population health-focused model that we're seeing now? I think it goes back to just the collective momentum building across you know multiple different initiatives, and so I think certainly there's a lot of it that we've talked about. I think they're they're building the same kinds of things I've talked about building at Concord. Other organizations are building the same. So competencies in analytics, the ability to warehouse data, act on it, get that information to people. Um, certainly building up care coordination, man, helping to put process in place to manage it a transition from the hospital back out to, you know, back out to their practice or their medical home, and then having those intensive resources available within the medical and the, you know, the embedded care management, that is an investment. All of the organizations that are making investments in palliative care and putting resources in place, uh, building up leadership, competencies and capabilities, particularly physician leadership, getting well-versed in the language, getting well-versed in what does it mean to move to value, having people champion those ideas, getting uh, putting in place standardized processes and, and that sort of thing to be efficient um, and consistent in how care is delivered, building relationships with closer, tighter relationships with skilled nursing facilities as well as home health, um, as well as behavioral health. And I've mentioned sort of the variety of integration of behavioral health, and that's going to become, I think, an increasing focus for many of the organizations. So, and then investment in medical home team-based development, which I actually should have probably said first, because it's really, that's, that's a critical cultural change is that team-based approach. And there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of skills, a lot of role clarification, a lot of changing roles. It takes a commitment from leadership. It takes you know, ha- helping people understand how it's all going to work. It takes team development, and that's that's a huge um, piece of work. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate all, sure. all the great information you've given us. Good. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again in about two weeks.